All right, folks. Hello. And this is the On Being Christian podcast number 31. Number 31. And it'll actually be a part two of our series out of Matthew chapter 5. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'll be your host. I'm also the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. Hope you're having a good summer. I can't believe how fast mine has gone. I uh, I realized I realized this week that we're staring down the barrel of August, and then you hit the burrs. September, October, November, December. Once you hit the burrs, you're just kind of executing whatever plans you've laid forth already for the year. I feel like we just started and already, and I'm told that this just continues to happen. But anyway, Matthew chapter five, I'm going to jump right into it. If you don't mind, Matthew chapter five, last week we started what is commonly known as the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter five. It's verse one through verse 12. And we covered the importance of of uh, the poor in spirit. And so I'm just going to read the context to you, and then we'll jump right off. Um, In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a high mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. We dealt with that last week. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then number two, it says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so as I said, as we... As we started this off with uh, chapter 5 and verse 3 last week concerning the poor in spirit, the things that we realized were the poor, meaning uh, the, the beggar, the, the humble, the, uh, the, the one who comes to the Lord with the correct understanding of who he is, the burden carrier. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. We spent some time talking about that last week. I want to talk to you now about they that mourn. They that mourn. Now, again, as we go through Matthew chapter 5 concerning the Beatitudes, the things that the Bible says with respect to things that um, um, that we're told are blessed are not necessarily things the world will look at or the society that we we live in will look at and say, yeah, those are blessed things. But the Bible says exactly the opposite. It says, no, these are blessed things, and then it gives us descriptions and reasons why, and it shows us several of these things throughout the Bible. And so, they that mourn, then it gives us the reason, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. The word mourn here means to grieve, the feeling or the act of bereavement or the word literally means to bewail. 
And then it goes on to say that they shall be comforted. And the word comforted is a word that means to call near. That is to invite, to invoke consolation, to entreat. So those who grieve, those who bewail, those who are experiencing the feelings and the act of bereavement shall invoke consolation, shall be entreated. This does not have to be, though at times it, it sure is, this does not have to be about you. It can be times, uh, excuse me, it can be uh, over another person. We live in a society that seems to have lost the ability to mourn over anything or anyone apart from themselves. In other words, sometimes when we think of the word mourn, we immediately, now think about this. You might have already done it in the five minutes that we've been talking. When we think of the word mourn, we immediately attach the meaning of that word to things that we are going through. Because that's just how we think. I'm in mourning. I'm going through something difficult. I'm having a hard time. But I want you to understand that this doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are experiencing something. You can be in mourning. You can be grieving or going through those 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 uh, bereavement feelings in relation to the burden that somebody else is carrying. And I just want you to I just want you to remember that and to think of that as we go through this. So it's not always they that mourn are not always mourning over the loss of their own life. Sometimes they are mourning because they're carrying the burden of another, which goes back to what we talked about last week, the poor in spirit. Okay, so these things are maybe more connected than you may have originally thought once we got into this. To, to lay some, some uh, proof text down here, or just give us an idea of what the Bible's talking about, I'm going to jump over to Isaiah chapter 61. And the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 61 give us a context that I'd like to share with you. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me, to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the, uh, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So we see here the Bible talks about the fact that Isaiah felt very strongly concerning the things that he was preaching were for, that he was expressing the reality of of the availability of comfort to those that mourn. He was doing so in such a way that he felt that he himself was in mourning over the burden of others. The word heaviness is used. The word heaviness is used there in in the verses that we just read, and that word literally means feeble or obscure or in the dark. Mourning. Now, if you've ever been through 
significant loss. Those words may very well capture exactly how you felt at the most vulnerable point. Heaviness. A feeling that in the, one of the most, there's two times in my life where that feeling of heaviness, three times, three times, I'm going to share three times with you, three times in my life where that feeling of heaviness set on me in such a real way where when I woke up the next day, it took me a minute to remember. Have you ever been there? where you, you get news one day and then the next day you wake up and you, you don't know what's wrong and then you remember that your life has changed forever. The first time that it, that ever happened to me was I was in boot camp and the towers fell. I was in Marine Corps boot camp on September 11th, 2001. And my experience of realizing what had happened was a little bit different because we were so isolated from society and from just the civilian world because we were being trained to become Marines. We were on the rifle range and um, there's a there's a there's a, a face that the Marine Corps puts on for recruits just to keep them very isolated and very focused on the training requirements. You don't ever really, you know, you you, you fall into a, a certain rhythm throughout the day. We were on the rifle range uh, learning how to shoot our rifles the Marine Corps way, and the primary marksmanship instructors began to close the distance to each other and talk and whisper. Now, that was never something that was done. You just focused on your group of recruits. But we noticed that they were talking, and then some of the drill instructors, instead of being hyper-focused on every single little thing we did, started to talk and look at each other and talk and whisper. Now, this was before the propensity of cell phones. Nobody really had them. Um, smartphones certainly didn't exist, but people had the news on on the TV or the radio inside the, inside the guard shack or the, the uh, primary marksmanship instructor hut, whatever you want to call it. So they knew it, what was going on, and all of a sudden there was a ceasefire called to the range, and without any explanation, we were put in formation and marched back to the barracks and told to sit and wait for further instruction. The series heavy, not the, not the heavy of the platoon, but the series heavy drill instructor walked in, introduced himself, and, I mean, we knew exactly who he was, but he introduced himself in a human way instead of yelling at us and screaming at us. And he took his cover off. He took his commonly referred to as the Marine Corps Smokey, the drill instructor cover, he took it off and he took his duty belt off and he sat down and told us what happened and then expressed the reality that almost immediately the Marine Corps knew that they were going to be the first ones going in and that most likely would include some of us. And so the day went on and when the next day came and every day in Marine Corps boot camp started exactly the same, some lunatic screaming at the top of their lungs Lights, 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 and the lights come on and you jump out. You're moving as fast as you can. You're going through the normal routine, but something didn't feel right. And then all of a sudden we remembered that the world had changed. The United States of America had changed. And in all reality, our time in the United States Marine Corps, whatever we thought it may have been up to that point had just changed. There was a heaviness 
and a darkness in that feeling. The second time was when I was out of the Marine Corps. I was in Bible college. I was working nights at a prison. And uh, I was going to Bible college in the morning. So this was Saturday morning. And I had worked all night long. And so I had a couple, I had a cup of coffee in front of me. And I was sitting next to a friend, um, a guy named Dave. And the phone rang. And there was a, there was a, like a common space behind us and the phone rang and nobody answered it. Um, and so the professor kept going, teacher kept going and then it immediately ran again and nobody answered it. And, uh, the teacher kept going and then it immediately rang again. And one of the uh, staff members of the church that I was attending it was my childhood church. It's my sending church, the church that sent me here to Utah to be a pastor. Um, one of them got up and went into that commons area and answered the phone. And he answered the phone, and almost immediately we realized that whatever, who, whoever was on the other end of that phone just said something that was very, very particular. And so he closed the door, and there was a like a rolling window over a countertop. He, he closed that. And, um, my friend and I looked at each other and we just thought, whatever is happening is serious. He opened the door and looked at the teacher in a way that the teacher would stop teaching. And the teacher at that point was actually the pastor of the church for that class. And, and he was annoyed that he was being interrupted. And he said, what, what? And the guy said something, the, the staff member who answered the phone said something. And my preacher said, is it serious? And the guy who answered the phone is actually the pastor of the church now. He said, yes, it's very serious. And so they two put the call on hold and they walked together to a separate office. And all of us students were just kind of sitting there waiting for the realization of whatever, you know, this is, this is something important, something's going on. That door opened to that secondary office that they had transferred the call to, and one of those men stuck his head out the door and said, Nolan, come here. And I thought, here we go. Here we go. And I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I, I just knew it was bad. They pulled me in there and they had told me that my mother had passed away. Now that was very unexpected. She was two days away from her 52nd birthday. And, um, I remember correcting them a couple times saying, do you mean my father? Because my father was in ill health. They said, no, no, it's your mom. And uh, my immediate feeling was I need to get to my family, my, my brother, my sisters, my dad. Throughout the day, it just became a blur. But I do remember them telling my father. And I don't ever really remember my father because I went home and they followed me home to deliver the news to my father or to, or maybe tell him and he had already known and just be with him. Um, and I don't ever remember my father. I mean, he was, he was, he wasn't like a, a real, um, stoic guy, but he, he was a little emotional, but it never really led to a, an outpouring of emotion. He never cried. And I remember him crying. And it wasn't like an, a polite, soft cry. It was a, 
it was a, what that word used for mourning. It was a bereavement. It was, it was wailing. It was just a shameless realization of loss. The next day, I remember waking up and something didn't feel right. And almost within seconds, I remembered that the day before my entire life had changed. My entire life had changed. And that's the definition of heaviness, that obscure darkness that sets over you. The Bible says that those that mourn shall be comforted. The third time I'll just share with you very quickly was when they told me that my oldest son had cancer and that he most likely would not survive. Um, now, I won't give you all the details behind that one. He did survive. He's with us today, doing well. But the day after, I remember sitting there in the hospital, looking at him, realizing that no matter which way that this was going to go, our lives had just changed. There was nothing that you could do about it. That's the realization of mourning. It's a darkness. It's an obscureness. It's a heaviness that sits down on top of you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. It changes your life. There's never a convenient time for emergencies to happen, and death is never welcome. There's always a reason for it not to be the most ideal time, but nonetheless, that's exactly what mourning is. If we transfer that thought over to Luke chapter 6 and verse 21, Luke 6, 21, the Bible says here, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. You see that same idea, the contrast between weeping and laughing. The word laugh there is a word that means not exactly what you might have thought it did. It means satisfaction. Satisfaction. Most of the time, in fact, all of the time, when people go through significant loss and they descend into that heaviness, that darkness, that mourning, there is a realization through the end of it, at the end of it, and there's a satisfaction, an acceptance of what life has just dealt them. Sometimes it takes longer than other times, but that's exactly what healing looks like. Especially if you have lost someone who has accepted Christ as their Savior and the realization, the satisfaction that where they are is so much better than where you are. And then there's a, a satisfaction with what the Lord has done. There is an end of mourning. The Bible calls that end comfort, that that invoking of consolation from our Heavenly Father. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, satisfied. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll read verse 7. The Bible says here, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be of the consolation. This is uh, Paul's writings and He's saying, listen, we know what you're going through because we're going through it. We've been through it and expect to go through it again. He says, the hope of you is steadfast. 
and the hope or the expectation is directly linked to this, the rest of the verse, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be, or, uh, so shall ye be also of the consolation. And so he said, we, we know that you are going through the, the, the bad parts. We know that you're going through the sufferings. We're going through the sufferings. Our hope, our expectation, our, our sense of gladness is not that you're going through the suffering, but the realization that if you are going through the suffering, you will also take part in the consolation, the, the satisfaction, the comfort. And so what I want to share with you, more of a simple thought than a complicated one, folks, if you're going through certain parts of mourning, if you've let the heaviness not and not not to say that you've let it. It's just it's just what it is. The heaviness, the darkness, the the obscurity has has fallen on you. Whether it's because of a connection to someone who has experienced significant loss, or whether it's yourself going through that significant loss, there is a hope at the end of that. There is a satisfaction at the end of that. There is a realization through the hope and expectation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ of healing. The Bible says, is there no balm in Gilead? In other words, it's a rhetorical question uh, referencing the healing power of Jesus Christ. If we jump over to Revelation chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, the Bible says here, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The former things are passed away. I want you to understand, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what this podcast is all about, on being Christian on the reality of what being a Christian looks like. If I'm a Christian, then my hope, my expectation is in the eternity that God has provided by his grace through the blood and sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. My hope and my expectation in those terms, according to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, is that my tears will be wiped away, the tears from all eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In this life, the former things are not yet passed away. We're very much experiencing and living through the old man. So there's going to be loss. There's going to be mourning. There's going to be the realization of things that we have not, uh, not yet shed, this old man. But at the end of those things is comfort, is a satisfaction, uh, a, a, uh, a realization of where healing comes from. Now, here's part of the issue with this. We live in a society today that awards monetarily sometimes the identity of being a victim. 
And so instead of going through the process of bereavement, we have started to award people who have gone through loss by paying them or compensating them. And when I award things that should be matured past, I hold back maturity. Let me give you an example. And I'm not trying to step outside my lane, but this is just a reality. I was in the Marine Corps. I, I served all around the world. I saw combat in several places. Okay. I used to work for the VA. I worked for the VA for five years, um, two years for the, for, at the state level and three years at the, at the federal level. And I want to say something from a position of, of understanding and experience, if nothing else. When we told military veterans who were experiencing what is only normal, when we told them that it was a disorder and we started compensating them for that disorder, we created an attraction to be broken. I'll just use one thing. I think you've probably heard of it, but this idea, post-traumatic stress, and then we threw this word on it, disorder. Now, I want to just create a picture here. There is nothing abnormal about responding abnormally to abnormal situations. Did you, did you catch what I said? When you respond abnormally to an abnormal situation, that is normal. But when we started telling generations of men and women that they had a disorder and we tried to fix them and put them back into polite society, we tried to make them what they once were, it was a recipe and is a recipe for complete disaster. I'm not saying these things don't exist. I'm saying at some level there is an absolute expectation from God's word that these things don't become our identity. Loss, as a child of God, loss should not be our identity. Victory should be our identity because the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when I compensate mourning and then make it part of who I am and refuse to get past it, I'm removing what the Bible says God's desire was for me and for my life. I'm refusing to be comforted. Am I okay? Are we okay? Are you, you understand what I'm trying to say? I know I'm touching kind of a sacred cow here, but this is the idea of mourning. And we've done this to our own society where we've taken this idea, this, you, well, you went through something. You are a minority. You are a, um, a, a subjected class of people. And instead of telling people there is an equal opportunity with the realization of responsibility and work that we move past these ideas of victimized identity. I understand what happened is real. I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm saying when we choose to live in this victimized idea, this victimized place, well, I once was this, but then I went through this, and so now my identity is this. 
Listen, I have no, I'm just using things that I'm very familiar with. I have no problem being a veteran of combat. But when you try to say that there's something wrong with me because I'm a veteran of combat, I have some kind of disorder, I reject that completely. Now, you can apply that to a lot of different areas in life. There are people who go through things that they never not have gone through. And we, we try to remove the reality of mourning, compensate it, and get them back to where they were. The Bible, what we're talking about right now, that's wrong. The Lord can heal anything. So if you go through something and you're a victim of maybe sexual trauma or abuse, I'm not making light of these things. I'm not saying these things aren't real. I'm saying the God we serve is bigger than the hurt that is a result of those things. And if I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I will, as one who mourns, I will be comforted if I allow him to comfort me. What we, what we mistakenly do is we attach these feelings, we attach these, these victimized ideas, these compensated realities to our trauma, which encourages never moving past trauma. And trauma is a problem that comes to pass. It should never be one that comes to stay. I'm not saying that these some of these things aren't hard to get past. I'm not saying the reality of, folks, when you go through some of these traumas of life, you're never going to be the person that didn't go through it. But that doesn't mean it needs to make you somebody who is broken. You don't need to be a broken person. You don't need to let the trauma define the rest of your life. You can live a life defined by the by the reality of being a Christian. And Christians, the one who's, who, who's, who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, one who's living their life according to the doctrine of the Bible, the Bible says that's a man or that's a woman that's going to have the victory over things that people without Christ can't get the victory over. So here's the question. If you've got things in your life that you can't get the victory over, is it because you have chosen to make that your identity or because you don't have Christ who gets you over those things? It's a fair question. Okay, so back in our text, Matthew chapter 5, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. So he's sitting down, he's getting ready to say these things. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this last week, the reality of knowing who we are, the humility of approaching the Lord correctly. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then number four, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You understand, this is not a, a, uh, a, an, a subjective statement. It's a, it's a mathematical, it's a statement based off reality, off, off of objective reality. Those who are in Christ who mourn shall be comforted. It's a reality. It's going to happen unless you choose to fight the Lord's will on this. And I think that's a big part of the society that we live in today. We, we don't want to be comforted. 
We like the idea of being the victim. This is where we are politically today. We have identified every single level of what minority victimization looks like. If, and there's levels to it if, if you haven't figured that out. There's levels to it. If you're black, you are a minority. That gives you a victimized tick mark. Okay? If you're black and gay, well, that means you're more victimized than one who is just black. If you're gay but not black but happen to be a different minority, well, we got to weigh that in. We got to plant that out. This is, this is, <laughs> I know I'm treading on eggshells here. I can feel it. I can feel it. But this is the liberalism, uh, the party of liberalism today. It's who is more sub, who is more victimized than everybody else. Who needs to be compensated and protected and everybody, and whoever is the biggest victim has the biggest voice. You understand, folks, the Bible knows nothing of this. These, these, these lowest common denominators that we separate ourselves into, there's one race, there's one people. I'm not erasing history. I'm not saying that things didn't happen. This idea that this nation is horrible because of the way it started is nonsense. This is the only one of the only nations on the planet that so abhorred some of the things that were happening to people all over the world that we fought a civil war to change it. Sometimes those things have become forgotten and we we ride on our on our ridiculous laurels of nonsense feelings. Folks, victims are real, but victims who choose to stay victims don't have to be. They don't have to be. You can't have the victory over things in this life. The Bible says, blessed are the mourn, or excuse me, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a reality. The, the real question is, where is that comfort? And the Bible talks a lot about how uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, talking about the comfort of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we give ourselves over to a society that, that plays this game, that tries to label you as something's wrong with you or you're broken or you have a disorder because you went through something in life and you can never rise above this. This is the limit on your life now. You are going to be and forever defined as a victim and we're going to protect you and we're going to label you this. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that you're never going to have been the person that went through things, but you don't have to be defined as a broken, victimized person. You can go through mourning. You don't have to get stuck in it. You can't arrive to comfort. You don't have to have a life of torment. The reality of comfort is found in Jesus Christ. That's what being a Christian is all about. However long ago, we gave over our minds to the experts. We let the experts define whether or not we're okay or whether or not we're good. And uh, I, as I used to work in this field, one of my jobs was uh, to be able to tell the difference, medically at least, um, the difference between the psychological effects of quote-unquote post-traumatic stress disorder and the physiological effects of traumatic brain injury. 
sometimes the symptoms of those two things mirror each other, uh, even though one is a physiological response to um, blast and back blast trauma, and the other one is a psychological response to uh, warfare and um, seeing things that play out in front of you that you don't really have a compartment to put them in. Even though these things are different in that way, they're the same sometimes in symptoms. Okay, And so when someone's going through the symptoms of those things, the very idea is to help them past it, to heal them. They're never going to be the person that didn't see those things. They're never going to be the person that didn't survive those blasts, but they can be a healed person with experience in trauma in their past. I think where we went wrong is we started to compensate being broken. In other words, we rewarded the idea of staying broken. And then we wonder why our welfare system is, is drowning in claims because people feel incredibly entitled to being paid for having lived through life. Folks, on a long enough timeline, you're going to go through trauma. It's nobody's fault, and maybe it is someone's specific fault, but it also is just life. And if I decide that I'm not going to accept the comfort of God in these things, then I become a victim by my own making. Somebody else victimized me, but I don't have to be a victim. I can be one who gets the victory unless I choose to reject the victory and stay in the disorder, stay in the broken. Now, here's what I guarantee you. I'm going to get some calls and some emails from experts and people who know what they're talking about saying that I don't know what I'm talking about. And fair enough, that's fine. But the Bible certainly does know what it's talking about. I believe that entirely. And the simplicity of this statement cannot be escaped. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are they that, excuse me, uh, yes, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you're in mourning, I love you. I've been there. I get it. But you don't have to stay there. You can move past it. The healing on the other side of mourning, the comfort, the satisfaction, is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Draw yourself closer to the one who can heal everything. Because that's exactly what he promised to do, to be the healing power behind our mourning. We don't have to be broken people. We don't have to live broken lives. We can have the victory. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be satisfied. They shall have the victory. And so in the Beatitudes, that's the number two. So number one, and we did this last week, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Number two, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Maybe you've never gone through anything like this, and you're going to go through it. If you live a long enough life, you're going to see things that cause you to go in mourning. I work for the uh, volunteer for uh, Salt Lake City Police Department as a chaplain. And as a chaplain, I've responded to things that I can guarantee you are going to cause mourning. I responded to one last night. My phone rang at 4 a.m., and I got a call, and I needed to show up at a certain place. Now, in this specific situation, the timeline wouldn't have allowed me to be there and be at church on time, and I 
The main thing in my life is the pastoring of Wasatch Front Baptist Church, so I could not accept that call, but I did ask him to explain it to me, and he explained everything that happened. And and uh, in this specific instance, there was three people who left this earth and went into eternity, and that's three fathers. That's three mothers. That's three different collections of brothers and sisters, grandfathers and grandmothers, uncles and aunts, sons and daughters, who lost someone early this morning. They're never going to be the person that didn't lose their loved one. But if they decide that this trauma, this reality, is now the only trauma, the only reality of their life, they'll get stuck in that place of being a person in mourning. And they don't have to be. We don't have to be, folks. We can be, as Christians, we can live in the victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can move past it. I'm not trying to make less of it. I'm not trying to talk it down. I'm just saying it doesn't need to be our reality. I love you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate the time you've given me. I know that I touched some things in this one, and I knew that I would when I started looking at the notes that were uh, present for this. I knew that I would. This one was going to be particular. But just please understand, folks, the Lord loves you. The Lord doesn't want you to live in a broken place. Even though the world might define you that way, you don't have to let them, you don't have to let that reality be your reality. You can live a, victory, a victorious life not making less of the love that you had for those that you've lost, just not letting the loss define your life going forward. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. You can get a hold of me if you'd like at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, frontbaptistchurch.com. On the location map on that website, you'll see that we're here on the Wasatch Front in Salt Lake City, Utah, where it is exceedingly hot and has been for the last week. I did get a reprieve. I got to go up into the mountains with my family where it was about 15, 20 degrees cooler, and we uh, just had some some family time up there. But you can get a hold of me on there. The office line is also directly on that website, and so if you have any questions, you can call me and get a hold of me, and anything that I do receive as far as voicemails or calls, I try to return them all, whether it's voicemails or emails, I do. I will get back to you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm going to have a word of prayer and be all done. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for giving us your son to die on the cross, to take away our sins, and to give us the victory over this life. Lord, there are hard things that we go through, loss, trauma, uh, victimization even. Sometimes we're even targeted by people who have agendas to hurt us. Nevertheless, Lord, according to the promises of your word, we don't need to live there. We can have the victory over these things through your grace. We praise your name for it, Father, and if we're weak in these ways, teach us how to walk worthy of the sacrifice you've given. All we can do is ask your blessings on these things. We leave it all in your hands and ask that all the glory of this be given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pick it up right there next week, folks. We're going to look at number three in this series. It looks like probably a nine-part series. Number three will be the meek. I'll just go ahead and read that to you so you know what we're going to be next week. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm very much looking forward to that one. 
Meekness is not something that's been described correctly, in my opinion. We'll get there next week. I love you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.